0: Om um, Namo Bhagavati Sri Arana Chalaramanaya <clears throat> uh, Namaskaram uh, Last time I began to talk about the second verse of anmabhidhi. um The Tamil name Anmavidhi, that's a Tamil form of a Sanskrit term, Atmavidya. That is what this song is about. And the main purport of this song is uh, Ayayati Sulupam Anmavidhi Ayayati sulupum are extremely easy. Extremely easy is Atmavidya. Um, Atmavidya means uh, knowing and being what we actually are. That is extremely easy, according to Bhagavan. And uh, the verses of this song are explaining this central idea. Um, In this second verse, what Bhagavan says is, since the thought, this body composed of flesh, itself is I, Alone is the one thread on which, on which the various thoughts are strung. If one goes within thus, what is the place from which I spread out? Thoughts ceasing in the cave, atmanyana alone will shine spontaneously as I am I. This alone is silence, the one space, the abode of bliss. That's the basic meaning. If we expand it slightly to bring out a little bit more of the implication, what Bhagavan implies here is, since the thought this body composed of flesh itself is I, alone is the one thread on which all the various other thoughts are strung, if one goes within investigating what is the place from which I spread out, or that, that, that term, um, um uh, na uh, uh sorry, na na idomedu. That can also be interpreted as, "Who am I? What is my place?" The place he's referring to here is the source from which we have risen as ego and spread out as everything else. Um, uh, so, if we go inwards, investigating our source, what we actually are, all thoughts including the root thought, I am this body, uh, will cease or depart, and in the cave, the cave here refers to the cave of one's heart, in other words, our own, in the very core of our being, uh, um, apmanyana, pure self-awareness, alone will shine spontaneously, or as oneself, as I am I, that is, as awareness of ourself as ourself alone. This alone is mona, or silent, uh, the one space, mean, implying the one space of pure awareness, the abode of bliss. Therefore, are extremely easy, apmavidya, are extremely easy. So this is the verse. Um, last time I began by explaining the first clause in which what Bhagavan means by saying, and why he says, the, 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 the thought, this body is I, this body composed of flesh itself is I. This thought is the one thread on which all the other various thoughts are strung. Um, I explain that. Um, I also explain the logical connection between this and the subsequent clause, because he ends the first clause with the word adanal, which in this context means since. So he's giving us a logical connection. So the first clause is the reason for what he says in the second clause. What he says in the second clause is that if we investigate ourselves, if we go within investigating ourselves, um, uh, uh, all thoughts will cease. Why will all thoughts cease? Because the first thought, I will. The first thought, I am this body, will cease. That is the this thought, I am this body is ego. That is, it is ego that is aware of itself as I am this body. So long as we are aware of ourselves as I am this body, we are consequently aware of other things. All other things are just other thoughts. So all other thoughts exist only in the view of this first thought, namely ego. So And we seem to be ego only when we are looking outside instead of looking within. If instead of looking outside, if we look within to see what we actually are, this ego will subside and disappear. As he says in verse 25 of Uludun Aptu, Taidinal otum pidicum, if sought, it takes flight. Uh, so ego will disappear. And when ego disappears, all other thoughts will disappear along with it, because all other thoughts exist only in the view of ego. And when all thoughts thereby cease, what then remains shining is apmanyana, the pure awareness, uh, a pure self-awareness, which is always shining as I am I. Um, So I explained that last time, and I'd also given some, I explained some analogies that Bhagavan gave to illustrate uh, why ego will cease to exist if we investigate it. That is, the analogies he gave were the analogy of uh, the bridegroom's friend, or the, pers- the, the wayfarer who posed as a friend of the bridegroom and who had a very enjoyed himself for five days at the wedding feast, um, bossing over everyone, because each party, the the bride's party thought he belonged to the bridegroom's party, and the bridegroom's party thought he belonged to a bride's party. So um he duped both, both sides and he had a very good time when the, when the wedding came to an end after five days and they began inquiring, who was that very helpful young man uh, who came with you? The, bride's body, the bridegroom's wife said, no, no, we thought he would belong to your family. He no, had he's nothing to do with us. When they began to uh, uh, inquire about who he actually was, he quickly got scent of it and he quietly slipped away. Such is the nature of ego. Ego will rise, stand, flourish, and boss over us so long as we take as we, we assume it has some place here, assume that it belongs here. Um, but if we begin to investigate it, it will, because it is not real, it will quietly slip away. Um, As he says in verse 25 of Uludanaptu, Te Dinal Otum Pidikon. That's one analogy uh, Bhagavan gave. Another analogy he gave is of uh, a sadhu who was living in a dilapidated mandapam on the edge of a village, or just outside a village. And every day he used to go into a village to beg his food just once a day. He would bring the food back to uh, his mandapam, there in the evening before going to bed, he would eat half the food and he would keep the other half to eat in the morning. One day he found the food was, when he woke up in the morning, he found his bowl was empty, his begging bowl was empty, the food had all been taken. So he understood some thief had come. So he decided the next night he should be vigilant and keep an eye out for this thief. And um, so he was waiting, waiting for the thief to appear, but he was overcome by sleep. He fell asleep and he, um, after some time he, heard a, he was woken by a slurp, slurp sound and he opened his eyes and he saw a dog was licking the, the food out of his bowl. So as soon as he opened his eyes and looked at it, the dog ran away. So the next night he decided to be more vigilant. He thought, I shouldn't fall asleep. So he laid down and he closed his eyes as if he was sleeping, but he was uh, being, taking great care to keep awake. And um, after some time, he heard a, a soft, uh, the, the soft sound of the dog uh, coming into the mandapam and coming close to his bowl. So he opened his eyes. As soon as the dog saw him opening his eyes, the dog stopped. He looked at him for a while, and slowly, slowly retreated and slinked away. So the, the next night also, he was very vigilant. And the dog was more cautious this time because he knew he was being watched. So he came up to the edge of the mandapam. He peered in the mandapam. He saw the sadhu was looking at him. And so he slipped away. The next night, he didn't even come, uh, he didn't even, peer, he didn't even enter the mandapam. From a distance, he looked in. He saw Vasada was looking at him, so he slipped away. And eventually he stopped coming because he saw every time he came Vasada was looking at him, so he kept away. Bhagavan said likewise this ego. Ego does all sorts of mischief, so long as we don't attend to it. But all we have to do is to look at it. As soon as we look at it, it stops all its mischief. And the more we vigilantly we look at ego, the more it retreats and eventually It'll uh, it'll cease coming back. It'll it'll retreat and subside back into its source. So, in order, this is why mabida is so easy. All we have to do is to keep a careful watch on ego. Careful watch on this I that rises as I am touching such a person. If we keep a watch on this I, in other words, if we attend to ourselves. Ego will not rise. That is, to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, ego will subside, and eventually it will merge back in its source. So this is what, why, but and when ego merges, since all other thoughts exist only in the view of ego, when ego merges, everything else will merge along with it, and what will then remain is what alone is real, what we actually are, which is the 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 pure awareness. Uh, which always shines as I am I. Um, so I'd explained all this last time. Now, um, n- now I'll go on um, to, from where I left off last time. So um, when that it is when ego and all other thoughts cease as a result of our going within, investigating the source from which we spread out, Atmanana will shine spontaneously as I am I. This is the main, in the third clause of the sentence, this is the main idea. So, um, that is, when all thoughts cease, along with their root, namely ego, which is the thought, I am this body, what will then remain shining is only pure self-awareness, apmanyana, which is always aware of itself as it actually is, namely as I am only I as Bhagavan implies in the main clause of this first sentence, What that means is, if one goes within, investigate, the word investigating is not there, but it's implied. If one goes within investigating what is the place from which I spread out, Thought ceasing in the cave, meaning the cave of the heart, Atmanjana will shine spontaneously as I am I. Here guhe cave, is a metaphor for the heart, the innermost core of ourself. And atmanyanam is a Tamil uh, uh, form of the Sanskrit term Atmanjana, which means uh, self-knowledge or self-awareness in the sense of the, pure, adjunct-free awareness of our own existence, I am. Though Atmanyani is always clearly shining within us as I am, in the view of ourself as ego, it seems to be obscured, because instead of being aware of ourself as just I am, we are now aware of ourself as I am this body. In other words, though we always know that I am, we do not know what I am, which means that we know our existence, but not our real identity. That is, I am is our existence. What we are is our identity. Now we we have a wrong identity. I am this body. Our real identity is only I. So the the real identity is I am I. I am nothing other than I, in other words. Whether we know our real identity or not, We always know our own existence as I am. So uh, what we now need to know is our real identity, because only when we know our real identity, that is, when we know ourselves as we actually are, will this false identification, I am this body, be eradicated. This is why we need to investigate what we actually are, because only by investigating ourselves can we know ourselves as we actually are. What we actually are, Is only ourself and nothing else. So our real identity is only I am I and not I am this or I am that. As Bhagavan often explained, what is aware of itself as I am this or I am that is only ego, whereas our real nature is always aware of itself just as I am I. This is why he says in this sentence that if we sink within by investigating ourself, Thoughts will cease, thereby implying that the primal thought, I am this body, will cease, along with all other thoughts. And apmanyana will shine forth within the cave of our heart as I am I. That is, as awareness of ourself, as ourself alone. Our real identity is not I am this or I am that, but only I am I. So those statements such as, I am Brahman, are useful as preliminary teachings. The ultimate teaching about our real identity is just, I am I. This fact that our real identity is not I am this or I am that, but only I am I, is one of the most fundamental and important principles of Bhagavan's teachings. But unfortunately, it's been obscured in most English books on his teachings because in such books, statements such as naan-naan nan and aham-aham, both of which mean I am I, have in most cases been misinterpreted and wrongly translated as I hyphen I, which does not convey any clear meaning at all. As far as I am aware, the only English book that was published in Bhagavan's lifetime, Bhagavan's bodily lifetime, that is, in which naan-naan nan or aham-aham, was correctly interpreted as I am I, is Mahayoga. In the ninth uh, chapter of which Lakshman Sharma wrote, the mind becomes reduced to a state of pure consciousness and begins to shine steadily in its pure form, as the formless I. The sage calls this formless consciousness the I am I, to distinguish it from the ego sense, which has the form uh, but has the form of, I am this, implying I am this body. Um, in, in a sen- um, so, so that's what Lakshma Sharma had written in, in Mahayoga. Um, just to explain this, in a sentence such as A is B, A is the subject, B uh, is, is a copula, and B is the sub- sub- subject complement. And in such a sentence in English, a copula is generally required. But in many languages, including Tamil and Sanskrit, the copula in such sentences is not required. This is a linguistic feature that is known as uh, zero copula, because uh, it is implied by the presence of a subject and a subject complement with no verb. So uh, in a sentence such as AB, sorry, such as AB, but copula would be understood. For example, nan idu means I am this. The, the actual nan is I, idu is this. But I this, in Tamil, if you say nan idu, which literally means I this, it, what it clearly implies is um, I am this. Nan adu means I am that. Nan a means I am who. Um, even though no explicit copula, no verb that means an, uh, uh, occurs in any of these sentences because it is implicit in each of them. Likewise, nan-nan means I am I because the copula is implicit in all such sentences. Um, it's the same as the case in Sanskrit. For example, soham, there's just two words there, saha, aham. But it's clearly saham means he, aham means I. But it's clearly understood. But soham means he is I, or the same with koham, who I means who am I, um, and like that. There's so many examples we can cite in 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 Sanskrit, uh, like as in Tamil. In Sanskrit, the copula is not necessary. So when Bhagavan says aham aham, he doesn't mean I hyphen I he means I am I. Just like soham doesn't mean he hyphen I, it means he is I. Ahamaham means I am I. The reason why Boban often referred to the biblical statement in which God reveals his real identity by saying, I am that I am, uh, is that I am I is what he took this statement to mean the exact meaning of the original Hebrew is not entirely clear, so it can be and has been interpreted in a variety of different ways. But one possible interpretation of it uh, is, I am is what I am, or I am is who I am, which implies the same as I am I. And the aptness of this interpretation is confirmed in the next sentence, in which God tells Moses, um, to say I am, I am has sent me to you. So clearly, in that passage in in, um, in 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 the Bible, God is saying that His real name is I am. I am, I am, I, I am is what I am. Um, this is why Bhagavan sometimes said that this this biblical sentence is the greatest of all the Mahavakyas. Mahavakyas means great statements that proclaim our real identity thereby bhagavan implied that it is a more apt expression of our real identity than any of the four mahavakyas of the vedas namely pragnanam brahma uh, pure awareness is brahman in the aitreya upanishad uh, i am atma uh, brahma this self, this very self, is Brahman in the Mandukya Upanishad. Uh, uh, Tatphamasi uh, that you are in the Chandogya Upanishad, and uh, Aham Brahmasmi I am Brahman in the uh, Brahadaranyaka Upanishad. Um, so, so, and so, why do the in Upanishads is it, it, it expressed in this way? That is, so long as we are looking for something called God, Brahman or God outside ourselves, we need to be told that God or Brahman is nothing other than ourself, because then only will we stop looking outside and instead turn our attention back within to investigate ourselves alone. So, this is the purpose and aim of each of the four Mahavakyas of the Vedas. However, We need to be reminded that we are Brahman only so long as we still have a tendency to think of Brahman as anything other than ourselves. Once we have understood and are firmly convinced that we are Brahman, we will understand that since the word Brahman refers to nothing other than I, the implication of statements such as I am Brahman is just I am I. That is, the word Brahman becomes redundant once we have truly understood that it means nothing other than I, because I is the most direct and natural way for us to refer to ourselves, Why should we continue to, talk, to think or talk about Brahman once we have understood that there's no such thing as Brahman other than I? If we are not yet sufficiently convinced that we are Brahman, it may be helpful to remind ourselves that we are Brahman or that Brahman is ourselves. But once we are firmly convinced that Brahman is nothing other than I, we will stop thinking about Brahman as if it were anything other than ourselves and will instead try to attend only to I. As Bhagavan says in verse 36 of Uludunapadu, um, Nam udl enju enin Alam Nam Adu uh, enju ennam adu uh, Nam arm that means um if we think that we are a body thinking no we are that will be will be just a good aid for us to stand as that however he goes on to say um, uh nam uh uh since uh, okay uh, it actually can the sentence continues because it's uh, in the verse often the sentences aren't put in the um in the in the order in which they come in the um maybe, I mean the order in which they would be expressed in prose. So he then goes on to say, Nan manidan endu ennamo, that's a question, nam aduva nikkum adanal. So if you put it all together. What these final three sentences mean is, since we always stand as that, why should we be always thinking we are that? Does one think I am a man? That is, if we we slightly expand the meaning of this verse to bring out the implication. If we think that we are a body, thinking, no, we are not this body, we are that, Brahman, will be a good aid for reminding and encouraging us to stand firmly as that. However, since we always stand or abide or exist as that, why why should we be thinking we are that? Does one think I am a man? That is, does one need to always think I am a man in order to be aware of oneself as a man? Therefore, instead of just thinking I am not this body, I am that, we should look keenly at ourselves to see what we actually are. Because only when we see what we actually are, Will we see that what we will we see, but we always stand firmly as that, as Brahman? <clears throat> if we think that we are a donkey or a monkey, it may be helpful to remind ourselves: no, I am neither a donkey nor a monkey, I am a human being. But if we know that we are human, there is no need for us to think I am human. Likewise, if we think we, that we are anything other than Brahman, it may be helpful for us to remind myself, no, I am only Brahman and not anything else. But once we have understood that we are nothing other than Brahman, and that Brahman is nothing other than ourselves, there is no need for us to think I am Brahman. Indeed, there is no need for us to think of anything other than I. So even the thought or idea of Brahman becomes redundant because in our understanding it has been correctly and effectively replaced by I. If we want to think about Brahman, all we need to do is to attend only to I. Attending to anything other than I, even to a thought of Brahman, is not meditating on Brahman but meditating on something else because there is no Brahman other than I. So long as we rise as ego, we are consequently aware of ourself as I am this body. And we are also aware of the semi-existence of things other than I. So we are not aware of ourself as we actually are, namely as that which alone exists. And hence, we are not aware of Brahman as it actually is, namely as ourself alone. Therefore, for us, Brahman is just an idea, just one thought among many other thoughts. So, if we think I am Brahman," we are identifying ourselves with a mere idea and not with Brahman as it actually is, because we do not know Brahman as it actually is. When we are aware of ourself as we actually are, we will not be aware of ourselves as "I am Brahman," but only as "I am I." In other words, we will not be aware of ourselves in other words, we will be aware of ourself as ourself alone because it will then be clear to us that nothing other than ourselves actually exists. So there is no such thing as Brahman other than I. Therefore, those statements such as I am Brahman are useful as preliminary teachings. The ultimate teaching about our real identity is not I am Brahman, but only I am I, because what we actually are is nothing other than I. So not only is I am I the ultimate teaching about our real identity, it is also the most practical teaching, because in order to keep our attention fixed firmly on ourself alone, we should not think that we are anything other than I. That is, once we've clearly understood that we are nothing other than I, we will have no inclination to think about anything or investigate anything else. So long as we think I am Brahman our attention is liable to be diverted away from ourselves towards the idea of Brahman. So to keep our attention fixed firmly on ourself alone, we should not think that we are anything other than I. This is why Bhagavan used the statement "nan nan" or aha, aham I am I, so frequently to point out what we actually are, and why we can conclude without the least shadow of doubt that this is indeed the Ramana Mahavakya, the great statement Mahavakya, by which he proclaimed our real identity, and which lies at the very heart of his teachings and pervades all of them, both explicitly and, and implicitly. Um, that is, the the reason he emphasized this Mahavakya, I am I, rather than any other Mahavakya, such as Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, or any equivalent uh, such as uh, Shivoham, uh, I am Shiva, or Soham, I am he, is that the principle and ultimate aim of all his teachings is that we should focus our entire attention only on I and not on only an eye, and not allow ourselves to be distracted by anything else, not even by the thought of Brahman or God. Because what Brahman or God actually is, is nothing other than I. And still more importantly, what we ourselves actually are is nothing other than I. Since nothing other than I is real, and since we ourselves are nothing other than I, we can know what is real and what we actually are, only by attending to I, and not by attending to anything else whatsoever. So he never tired of reminding us, but what, but what we are is only I. nan nan, aham, aham, I am I. God or oh Brahman is what shines eternally in our heart as I am I. So when we're aware of ourselves as we actually are, We will not be aware of ourselves as I am Brahman, or I am God, but only as I am I. For example, in the Mangalam verse that he wrote for his Tamil translation of uh, Bhivaka Chudamani, he implies that the means to eradicate ego, which is the root ignorance, mula-vidya, I am this body, is to remain always joyfully fixed in the feet or state of God, who is what shines eternally in our heart? As I am, I. What he says in this in this verse, this Mangalam verse for his Tamil translation of Bibliculture Money is Ahamenum mula abidya ahandrida. That means uh, uh, to remove or, or 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 so that the mula abidya, the root ignorance, original ignorance called I in other words ego, may depart. Aham Aham Aha, Alum Pahal Ara, Aham Oli, Aham Devan, Padatinil, Aham Aham Aha Um Anisum Ramikave. What that means is for the root ignorance called I to depart. So, may we always delight as inner joy in the feet of Atma Deva, who shines without night and day in the heart as I am I. Um, but that is the, the Mula avidya. but he refers to here, it's a bit, the root ignorance or original ignorance. He says it is Ahamena Mula vidya, it's called I. In other words, it's called, what, ego is what is called the, uh, the Mula avidya. And in order to get rid of this mula vidya, what is required is for us always to uh, delight as inner joy in the feet or state of Atma Deva who is what shines without night and day, that is, without appearing and disappearing, without rising and subsiding, in the heart as I am I. And he refers to our real nature here as Atma Deva, because deva, or in Sanskrit, and or devan in Tamil, means the shining one, being derived from the verbal root div, which means to shine. So God is called deva because he is the real nature of ourself, atma Sarupa, which is what shines in our heart timelessly and immutably as I am I, without ever appearing or disappearing, and without ever waxing or waning. This atma deva is what is otherwise called brahman, so, in the first two lines of the verse, Hridia Guhara he sings, Hridia Guhara Madhyay, Kevalam Brahma Matram, uh, Aham aham uh, Iti uh, uh, Sakshat apma rup- uh, apma rupena Bhati. What that means is, in the center of the heart cave, solitarily, uh, Brahman alone shines uh, clearly in the form of oneself, as aham aham, I am I, um, uh, um, <coughs> that is when he says it shines uh, clearly, the word for clearly is the uh, sakshat, um, that means directly, immediately, or clearly. Atmarupena uh, means in the form of oneself, aham aham iti means as I am I, that is as awareness of our self, as our self alone. In this context, kevalam is an adverb that means solitarily, so it implies that Brahman is one only without a second, ekam eva advatiam, as Bhagavan also implies in the first two lines of his Tamil translation of this verse, mm-hmm. namely verse 8 of Bandam, in which he translated kevalam brahma matram, solitarily Brahman alone, as ekamam brahma matram, uh, uh, Brahman, which is the one alone, um, but the one here, ekam, implies um, the uh, ekam eva advitiam, the one one alone without a second. That is what actually exists is one alone without a second. That is Brahman, and that is what is always shining in our heart as I am I. In other words, that is what we actually are. Um, so in the Tamil version of this verse, he says, "Idiyamam." Guhayin napan ekam matram adu aham aham a didum So that means more or less the same as the Sanskrit version. In the centre of the cave, that is the heart, Brahman, which is the one alone, shines directly as oneself, as I am I. Um, I am I means awareness of ourself as ourself alone. Brahman alone shines directly as ourself in the sense that it is what we actually are. But Brahman is not aware of itself as I am Brahman, but only as I am I. Because in its clear view, it alone is what actually exists. So it is aware of itself as nothing other than itself, namely I am I. Therefore, since Brahman alone is what we actually are, when we are aware of ourselves as we actually are, we will not be aware of ourselves as I am Brahman, but only as I am I. As Bhagavan implies not only in this second verse of Anubhuti, but also in verse twenty of Upadesh Undiya and verse thirty of Vrudhunapadum, which we'll see later. Um, <coughs> When we investigate I am, the source from which we have risen as ego, ego will die. And what will then shine forth as I am I is our real nature, which is the one real substance, poral, the, infin- the infinite whole, porna. That is, as ego, we are always aware of ourselves as I am this body. But when we investigate ourselves keenly enough, we will be aware of ourselves as we actually are. So, we will thereby cease to be aware of ourselves as I am this or I am that, and will instead be aware of ourselves as I am just I. That is, I am nothing other than myself. In other words, ego will be eradicated as soon as we see what we actually are by means of self investigation, as Bhagavan implies in verse 19 of Upadesha Undia. What he says in verse 19 of Upadesha Undia is. Nan indu erum idum edu enanada ull nan tale sandedum undipara nyana vicharami undipara. What that means is, when one investigates within what the place is from which one rises as I, I will die. This is uh, nyana vichara. Nyana vichara. Nyana here means awareness. Jnana vichara means awareness investigation. The awareness we have to investigate is the awareness that is ourself. In other words, what he calls, what he refers to here and in some other places as Jnana vichara is Atma vichara, because uh, the Jnana we have to investigate, the awareness we have to investigate is only ourself. What he refers to here as Nan Endru erum idum, the place from which one rises as I, or the place from which it rises as I, is our real nature, Abhmasarupa, which is what always shines within us as our fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. So investigating this place, obviously place, he's using the term place metaphorically, means keenly attending only to this awareness I am, which is why he calls this investigation jnana vachara, which means awareness investigation. When we attend to this fundamental awareness, I am, keenly enough, our attention will thereby be withdrawn from everything else. So we will then be aware of nothing other than ourselves. This state in which we are aware of nothing other than ourselves is the state of pure awareness, suddha chaitanya, which is what we actually are. So, since ego is just the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body, as soon as we experience ourselves as just the pure adjunct free awareness I am, ego will thereby be eradicated, as he implies by saying, which literally means I will be head bent, but which is a colloquial way of saying I will die. What we actually are is Satchit. Satchit means. Sat is pure being or existence. Chit is uh, pure awareness. So Sat-Chit is uh, existence awareness. That is what we actually are. And that is our fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. So when we are aware of ourselves as we actually are, we will be aware of ourselves as just I am I, as he implies in the next verse, namely verse 20 of Upadesh India. What he says in this verse 20 is, uh, Na non ondru tanatu na nan endu ondu adutana ha tondrinum tondramei undipara tanadu pundrumam undipara. What that means is in the place where I merges, that means that in the place where ego, I here refers to ego, the false awareness I am, I am this, where that merges, that the one, that here refers to Brahman, that the one appears spontaneously or as oneself as I am I. That is, as awareness of ourself, as ourself alone. That itself or that oneself is Pundram. Pundram is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word purnava, which means the infinite whole or entirety of what is. Um, Nananjutanam. The place where I merge is the place from which it rose, namely our fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. So when the ego merges there, we will cease to be aware of ourself as I am this body, and will instead be aware of ourself just as I am I. What thus appears spontaneously as I am I is our real nature, atmasarupa, which is what is called Brahman, and which being, being one only without a second, ekameva advatiam, is the infinite whole, purna, of which nothing exists. As Bhagavan implies when he says, na naan endru onru adutanahatondrame, tan adu pundramam. That the one appears spontaneously as I am I. That itself is the whole. Likewise, in verse 20 of Upadesha Saram, which is Bhagavan's Sanskrit translation of this verse, of of verse 20 of Upadesha India, what he says is, ahami nasa bha, well, I'll read in a split form, ahami nasa bhaji aham aham teya spuriti hritsvayam paramapurnasat That means, uh, on I undergoing annihilation, in other words, when I, ego, is annihilated, uh, uh, Hrit, the heart, shines forth spontaneously as I am I. That is, he says, Hrit hrit is the subject, uh, the heart. Swayam means spontaneously or of its own accord. Ahamma uh, means as I am I, and spuriti means it shines forth, um, it shines clearly in other words. Um, and what is this? Parama sat, parama means supreme, purna, whole, sat, reality or being. Um, though he says in the original Tamil of this verse, but the one appears spontaneously as I am I and in the Sanskrit version that it shines forth spontaneously as I am I, it actually shines eternally without ever appearing or disappearing. So it is only relative to the disappearance of ego, that it seems to appear or shine forth, just as the sun, which was always shining brightly in the sky, seems to appear or shine forth when the clouds that were concealing it are blown aside. This is why he says in verse 30 of Upadeshu Undi, uh, sorry, verse 30 of Uluddin but though it appears, it is not ego, but by one real substance, which is the whole. What he says in verse 30 of Uluddin is, um, Nan, Nan, sorry, Nan, A, Enna, Manum, Ul, Nadi, Ullum, Nanabe, um, that means as soon as the mind reaches the heart, inwardly investigating, "Who am I?" Um, nan am aban. He who is I. Tale um bending his head. That means, well, it implies when, when, when he who is I in our words, ego, dies. Um, uh, nan nan a tondrum ondru tanaha. One thing appears spontaneously as I am I. But though he uses here the word, the verb tondrum, which means to appear, in the next sentence he says, tondrinum, though it appears, nanandru, it is not I. That implies, though it appears, it is not ego, the I that appears and disappears. It is, uh, uh, and he goes on to say, um, adu poondrap poro. Uh, sorry, in, sorry, he says, uh, the next sentence is "poral pundram adu uh, tanam poral." But if we rearrange it in a, in the normal prose order, that would mean adu pundra porul tanam poral." That means it is the entire substance, the full substance, the whole, the kornavastu uh, the substance that is oneself. That is what we actually are, in other words. Um, the first clause in the first clause of this verse, na na ena man, manum ul nadi ulum nana um, as soon as the mind reaches the heart, inwardly investigating who am I, implies that when we investigate ourselves keenly enough and thereby turn the full 180 degrees back towards ourselves and hence away from everything else, the mind will sink into the innermost depth of our being and merge there in the heart the formless awareness I am, which is the source from which it rose. The next clause, nānam avan na nānamura, literally means when he who is I suffers head shame, but is a colloquial way of saying, when he who is I dies, thereby implying that ego will die as soon as it reaches the heart by inwardly investigating who am I. The main clause of this first sentence is the third one, na-na-na-tondrum onru ta um, which means one thing appears spontaneously as I am I. In which onju is a noun that means one, so it can mean either one thing or the one, uh, implying that the one thing that is implying the one thing that is actually real, the one thing that actually exists. And "tanaha" can mean either spontaneously or as oneself. Though he says that one thing appears spontaneously as I am I, in the next sentence he adds. Tondrinum uh, uh, though it appears, it is not I, thereby implying that it is not ego, which is the eye that appears in waking and dream and disappears in sleep. So it is not this appearing. So if it is not this appearing and disappearing, I, what is it? He answers this in the third and final sentence, Poral pundrum adu tanam poral, which means it is the. Uh, in other words, it's the whole substance, or Purnavastu, the substance that is oneself. In other words, it is the one thing that actually exists. That's the implication. <clears throat> the nature of the one real substance, vastu, which is the infinite whole, Purnavastu, or purna, is explained by him in the second sentence of verse 7 of Ulidunapadu. Uh, what he says in verse 7 is... Uh, Uluhu aribu tondri ku idumai tondri marayadu olirum pundramam akde porul. What that means is only that which shines without appearing or disappearing as the place of space or expanse or location or ground for the appearing and disappearing of the world and awareness, awareness him refers to the mind, the awareness that perceives the world, uh, is poral, is the is the real substance or vastu, which is pundram, the infinite whole or purna. Since pundramam poral, the substance which is the whole, shines without appearing and dis- appearing or disappearing, why does he say in verse 30 of Upadeshundya, uh, sorry, in verse 30? Of Ulidunaplu and also in verse 20 of Upadeshundia, but it appears spontaneously as I am I. It does not actually appear, but so long as we rise as ego, from the perspective of ourself as ego, our real identity, namely I am I, seems to be obscured by the false awareness I am this body. So when we investigate ourselves keenly enough and thereby see ourselves as we actually are, our real identity, I am I, seems to appear anew, but as soon as it appears, it ceases to seem new, because we recognize it to be our eternal and ever undiminished awareness of ourself as ourself alone. In other words, what momentarily appeared as if it were a new and fresh clarity of self-awareness for Anna is instantly recognized to be what is natural, sahaja, being what we always actually are. So the clear recognition, I am I, is both the path and the goal. Because the deeper we go in the practice of self-investigation, the more clearly we recognize that we are nothing other than I. And when this recognition becomes perfectly clear, that is awareness of our self that that is awareness of as our self as 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 we actually are this recognition but what seemed to appear afresh is actually our real nature atmasarupa, is what bhagavan sometimes described as the subsidence cessation pacification or extinguishing of sporana. The Sanskrit term sporana and its Tamil equivalent, Spuripu, are both de- n- nouns derived from the Sanskrit verb Spur, which means to shine, be clear, uh, be evident, uh, or make itself known in any way, and which is particularly used in the sense of shine forth, shine with a fresh clarity, or appear afresh. And it is in this sense that he used it in verse 20 of Upadesha Saram, when he says, aham aham teya spurati hritswayam, the heart shines forth spontaneously as I am I. The Tamil form of uh, the Sanskrit verb spur is spuri, or more commonly just puri, which means to shine, manifest, be clear, strike one's mind or be understood. For example, to say I understand in Tamil one would say enakupuriyum, meaning it is clear to me. Therefore, he uses the nouns spurana and spuripu to refer to the shining forth or fresh clarity of self-awareness. Since there are different degrees of clarity, he uses these terms to refer both to partial degrees of clarity that we experience from time from the time we begin to practice self-investigation to the full clarity that shines forth when ego is finally annihilated. So whenever he uses the term sporana or spuripu, we need to understand from the context whether he is referring to partial or full clarity of self-awareness. And likewise, when he uses the verb spur or spuri, we need to understand from the context whether he is referring to a a partial shining forth of a full and final shining forth of ourself as I am I. Even when he is referring only to a partial degree of clarity experienced d- d- during practice, he says that it shines forth as I am I, meaning that it shines forth as awareness of ourself as ourself alone. Because to the extent to which we attend to ourself, it becomes clear to us that we are nothing other than ourself the fundamental awareness that always shines within us as I. The reason he uses terms such as sporana, spuripu, and I am I to refer both to a partial degree of clarity that we experience to the extent to which we go deep in the practice of being self-attentive and to the infinite clarity that shines forth when ego is annihilated is that the clear recognition, I am I, recognition of ourself as ourself alone, is both the path and the goal, the means and the end. The deeper we go in the practice of self-investigation, the more clearly we recognize that we are nothing other than ourself. I am just I. And when this recognition becomes perfectly clear, that is awareness of ourself as we actually are. So ego, the false awareness, I am this body, is thereby eradicated forever. As soon as it is eradicated, what seemed till then to be a new and fresh clarity of self-awareness, spharana, which, uh, uh, which had been gradually growing clearer until it finally swallowed us entirely in its all-consuming effulgence, is recognized to be natural, sahaja, being what Bhagavan co- calls poral pundram, the whole substance or purnavastu. And tanampodal, the substance that is oneself or Atmavastu, in verse thirty of Ululurunapadu, um, uh, Pundram, the whole in verse twenty of rupadesha undya, and Paramapurnasat, the supreme whole existence, being or reality, in verse twenty of Upadesha Saram. So it is what we always actually are, as he clearly implies in verse twenty-one of Upadesha Undia. That is, uh, as we saw earlier in Upadesha, in verse twenty of Upadesha Undia, he says that the one shines forth spontaneously as I am I. That is, the, uh, 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 purna, the, the that is Purna, the, the, the whole reality. So, in the next verse, verse twenty of Upadessha undi he says "U nanenum soporul arma nanatra tu kotum undi para Namdin me undipara what that means is that referring he when he says that he referring to a previous what he was talked about in the previous verse, which is the the Purnavastu which, shine, purna which shines, the one Purnavastu which shines forth spontaneously as I am I. That, the one that appears uh, that, so that is at all times the substance or meaning of the word called I, because of the exclusion of our non-existence, even in sleep, which is devoid of I. This is a very cryptic way of um, putting it. When he's a Nama 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 Nikatal means uh, the removal of our non-existence in other words, we. what he implies is, because we do not cease to exist in sleep that is, though there's no I in the sense of ego in sleep we still exist there so we are the true import of the word I, ego is not the true import of the word I, that is the implication what we actually are alone is the true import of the word I and that is what shines forth spontaneously as I am I um, <clears throat> so, so, I mean, there's an important argument he gives here. Because we, we can we do not cease to exist in sleep, even though ego ceases to exist in sleep, ego is not what we actually are. What we actually are is that which remains shining even in sleep. That is the pure awareness I am. And that pure awareness I am. Is what shines forth spontaneously as I am I when ego dies. That is the implication. We are always aware of ourself as I, not only in waking and dream when we rise and stand as ego, the false awareness I am this body, but also in sleep when we remain as just I am without rising as I am this or I am that. So what we actually are is only the pure adjunct free awareness I, Therefore, since we are never anything other than I, the clear awareness of ourself as I am I, in other words, awareness of ourself as ourself alone, is always the true import of the word I. In other words, it is what the word I actually refers to. Um, are, are there any questions yet on the YouTube channel? Uh,
1: yes, sir. We do have two questions. Okay. Uh, one from Mr. Oh, Sushil Motwani. Right. The first question I shall read out. Yes. Quote You have already answered a part of my question on Hride Kuhar Madhe in the satsang today. Could you kindly explain the second part of the verse, especially the Majjata and Pavan Chalana Rodhat part?
0: Um, oh, okay, I will do that. I will just give me a minute. Um, that is this um, this Afrida Gurha Madhya. Bhagavan first composed this in in um in Sanskrit, and later he composed it in um in Tamil. So if we refer to both of them. We get we can get a clear idea. But one thing before we consider the meaning of this verse, it is very important to remember the circumstances in which uh Bhagavan wrote this verse. That is, um the, when Bhagavan was living in um, I think it was in Virupakshi or maybe in Skandasha, it was in anyway, it was when he was still on the hill, there was a young devotee named Um Jagadisha Sastri. Jagadishya Sastri had been listening for a long time to Bhagavan's teachings, and so he had understood Bhagavan's teachings to, to a certain extent. One day, he wanted to put his understanding of Bhagavan's teachings—he wanted to encapsulate it in a verse—and he tried to write a verse, a verse in Sanskrit encapsulating what he understood of Bhagavan's teachings. But he he, tried, he struggled and he wasn't able to do so. So he asked Bhagavan to help him. And Bhagavan is usually, in such cases, he he declined. But then, um, hoping that Bhagavan may uh, do so, Jagadisha left his paper and pencil or pen um, just under Bhagavan's seat in, in Virupakshi cave or wherever it was, and hoped that when Bhagavan would, or just under his seat, maybe Bhagavan was sitting on a mat, and it may have been just a little bit under the edge of the mat. So he hoped Bhagavan would would, uh, complete the verse for him. When he next came there, Bhagavan handed him the verse, in which he had written this verse. And underneath the verse, Bhagavan wrote Jagadisha, implying that this this verse is though it wasn't composed by Jagadisha, it's Jagadisha's idea. Of course, much of the verse is the pure teachings of Bhagavan, because it's what Jagadisha have been uh, often hearing from Bhagavan. But certain ideas in this verse are not actually Bhagavan's teachings. They're Jagadisha's understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. So it's important to understand this, otherwise we can be uh, the, these last two lines can seem rather confusing so as i said what bhagavan says in the, um in the first two lines is hridaya guhara madye kavelam brahma matram hi aham aham iti sakshat apma rupena bhati that means uh, in the center of the heart cave solitarily Brahman alone shines clearly, directly or immediately, in the form of oneself as I am I, that is, as awareness of ourself as awareness as ourself alone. Then, in the next two lines, what he says is, Visha, Manasa, Swam, um, Chimvata, uh, Majita." va pavana chalana rodat atma nishto babatum. What this means is, entering the heart, that is, sridi visha means entering the heart, manasa, uh, by the mind, uh, uh, sinking, uh, implying sinking deep within, investigating itself that is uh um swam chimvata majita means sinking uh, uh, attending uh, investigating or attending to oneself um ba uh, means awe. um pavana chalana rodat means by restraining the breath uh ishto bhavatum be one who is fixed as be, be you fixed as yourself may you be fixed as yourself is the implication. So here it this sentence implies that there are two ways to be fixed in upmanishta. one way that we either way we need to enter the heart. But there are two ways of entering the heart. Is the implication one is with the mind sinking deep within, investigating itself, and the other is Channa Roda by restraining the movement of the breath. This is not actually Bhagavan's teaching because, as Bhagavan says, uh, for example, in um, um, in the eighth paragraph of uh, Nana, Bhagavan ends by saying um pranayamam manate adhaka sahayam sahayam ahume andri manonasam seyadu that means um therefore pranayama is just an aid to restrain the mind but will not bring about manonasa so according to Bhagavan, nas, the, the, by pranayama, we cannot remain fixed as ourselves, because to be fixed as ourselves, to be an Atmanishtha means that an ego has to be annihilated. So this is not actually Bhagavan's teaching. This is what this is what Jagadisha uh but this was Jagadisha's idea. Um there is a f- and um but there is a further confusion about this verse because uh, Kavya Ganapati Sastri, when he wrote Ramana Gita, he included this verse in, I think it's in the second chapter, if I remember correctly, second or third chapter. And the whole of that chapter, he writes his own explanation of that verse. And according to his explanation, he took it as three different paths. In fact, the heading of that chapter is the three paths. Because though the word va, which means all, comes once, we it it is one way we can interpret this verse is chimbata means investigating oneself, majita means sinking or sinking within. So we can take it to mean by investigating ourselves, by sinking within or by um um uh, controlling, restraining the, the movement of the breath. So Kaviyaganta took it to mean three paths, but uh, investigating oneself is one path, sinking within is another path, and um, and um, uh, restraining the movement of the breath is another path. That is how Kaviaganta understood it, Bhagavan. Some years later, Bhagavan was asked by some Malayali devotees who didn't know Sanskrit, he was asked to translate um, Ramalagita into Malayalam. So Bhagavan is always ready to oblige. So he faithfully translated Ramalagita into um, Malayalam, and when he did so, he, he interpreted this verse. I mean, he 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 didn't interpret, he followed Kavyaganta's interpretation as three paths. So some people take this to mean, oh, therefore Bhagavan agrees with uh but that it doesn't actually mean that because Bhagavan was simply when he's asked to translate, he translates. Whether he agrees with it or not, he translates it faithfully. What his real idea is on this, because then it became a controversy among devotees because many devotees felt it's not wrong right that that is how is the mind to sink within only by investigating ourselves so they, it, that became a controversy among devotees so bhagavan then wrote a tamil version of this verse and the tamil version of the verse he made it clear but it's only one path what he what he says in the um in the tamil version of the verse is goheyin napan That means in the middle of or in the center of the uh, cave, which is the heart. Ekamam Brahma Matram, Brahman alone, which is the one. uh, I do that. Um, Aham, aham, uh, ah, as I am I, nere, that nere means um, directly, uh, um, in, in the sense of seeing something directly. Uh, in other words, immediately, um, uh, uh, directly, um, uh, abhid that means shines, anma mabaha as oneself. So the first two, two lines is almost exactly the same as Sanskrit. It means um, in the center of the cave, that is the heart, brahman, which is the one, alone shines directly as oneself, as I am I. Then in the second two lines, what he says is idiame uh heart that that means heart, uh idiame sabai, may you reach or take refuge in the heart. Um uh, um how to reach or make take refuge in the heart, he says, Tane enni um uh, Tane eni means um uh thinking or meditating on oneself, in other words, investigating oneself r means uh, uh uh that sinks or dies. So by the mind that uh, sinks or dies within investigating oneself or uh, Allah do or by the uh by you um adun uh, uh um, all so he the, the way Bhagavan expresses it in Tamil is May you reach for heart by the mind that sinks investigating itself, all that sinks with the breath. in other words, by one the the, the the word he used in Sanskrit majjata, which means sinking, that sinking can be brought about either in other words, that the subsidence of mind that is brought about either by investigating ourselves or, uh, or or by, uh, um, by controlling the breath. The, the, mind, the subsidence of the mind will uh, be brought about. In Tamil, he splits this as two sentences because the, the rest of the, uh, the the last part of the second sentence, "Amabil nitten abai" is a separate sentence. Uh, May you be fixed as yourself. So he what he says in the first sentence: May you reach the heart by the mind that sinks, investigating itself, or that sinks with the breath. May you be fixed in yourself. So in Tamil, he carefully avoids implying that you can be, you can reach for heart. In other words, the mind can subside by means of breath restraint, but you won't thereby be fixed as yourself, because as he, as Bhagavan often explained, by pranayama, we can bring about manonasa. Sorry, we can bring about Mano-lea, a temporary dissolution of mind, not manonasa. In that sentence, I read the final sentence of the eighth paragraph of Nana, but one explicitly says pranayama will not bring about Manonasa. So the subsidence of mind that is brought about by pranayama is only a temporary subsidence of mind. That is what he says from the beginning of this eighth paragraph of Nana. He says for the mind to subside, cease or subside except vicharana, that's except self-investigation, there are no other adequate means. If may cease or subside by other means, the mind remaining, as if it had ceased, will again rise up." In other words, such cessation is only manalaya, because the mind rises from it again. And then he goes on to say, even by pranayama, the mind will cease or subside. However, so long as the prana remain subsided, mind will also remain subsided. And when the prana emerges, the mind will also emerge and wander under the sway of its vasanas. So the clear implication here is that the subsidence of mind brought about by, um, or the sinking of mind brought about by breath restraint, is not permanent. It's, in, it's temporary. It is not mano-nasa, but mano-lea. In verse 13 of Upadesha Undia, what he says about this is, about Mano Nasa Mano he says, "Ilayamum nasamum irendu am odakum, that is, sub- dissolution, meaning dissolution of the mind, or ego, is of two kinds, leya and nasa. Uh, tu ulludu erum, what is... What is in layer, um, uh, or what is subsided in layer, will rise. Um, um, if it dies, it will not rise. So, that in NASA, if the mind subsides in nasa, it will never rise again. If it subsides in layer, it will rise again. So, the type of subsidence or sinking of the mind that is brought about by pranayama. Is only layer, not Nasa, as Bhagavan explicitly says in this eighth paragraph. So we need to understand this verse in the context of Bhagavan's broader teachings. And then we can understand, but it is not Bhagavan's idea, but we can bring about Abmanishta merely by breath control. Breath control is not an alternative means. And it's also clear for Bhagavan's Tamil version of Tamil uh, translation of this verse, but he's here talking of he's not talking about three parts but only two parts because he in the tamil version he links he uses the word think twice R he uses twice once connected with investigating um with tanai enni that means think uh, contemplating or investigating ourselves and once with um uh, 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 udan uh, along with uh, by you, I don't know, done. Along with the breath, that means along with the when the breath sinks, the mind will also sink. Is the is the idea? So, and by splitting it into two sentences, in um, splitting the last two lines into two sentences, we can reach the heart by pr- pranayama, but, but when we reach the heart by pranayama, that is only a temporary subsidence of mind. It's not the permanent uh, subsidence of mind, so the mind will rise again. So we can't call that apmanishta, because we're not actually fixed permanently as ourselves. Atmanishta means to be fixed permanently as ourselves, uh, to, to, to be as we actually are. So. The, the sinking or subsidence of mind, but it brought about by pranayama, is only temporary. It is only a layer. It is not nasa. So that is why I said it's very important. To, in order to understand this verse correctly, we need to understand the context in which he Bhagavan wrote it. But the, this uh, Pavala Chalana Rudat. Is not Bhagavan's idea. Bhagavan doesn't, B- Bhagavan never taught us that we can bring about Upanishad. We can be as we actually are merely by restraining the breath. By restraining the breath, we can bring about the subsidence of mind, but it's only a temporary subsidence, it's only layer. So I hope this is a clear, um, a clear explanation for that. Do you have any further questions on that? verse because that's a it's important to understand these things correctly so that we we don't get a a distorted understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. We need to understand all these things in their own proper context. <laughs>
1: Uh, Mr. James, we yes. have another question from Puru Dube, and I quote: "When I inquire, who am I? How do I make sure that I'm not stuck again into another thought? I," unquote.
0: And Sushilji is saying, "No, sir," unquote. Okay. So I assume with no means he's he's satisfied with my explanation. I hope. That's, that is yeah. right. He's right. saying it's quite clear. Thank you. It's quite, okay. Right. Right. Um, uh, so, um, when we inquire, "Who am I?" we need to understand the sense in which Bhagwan uses the the word bicha- "bichara" and the verb "bichari." "Bichari" means in. In this in the context of Bhagavan's teachings, in some contexts, we can use the word the verb vichari to mean inquire in the sense of to ask a question. That is, in English, the word inquire means both to investigate and to ask questions. It can mean, depending on the context, it can mean either. Likewise with the word uh, vichari, which is the Tamil form of the Sanskrit verb vichar, which means to inquire or investigate. But the sense in which Bhagawan uses it is in the sense of investigation. It doesn't mean asking the question, who am I? So we are to investigate what we actually are. So Bhagavan never said, ask who am I? He said, investigate who am I? That means we need to investigate what we actually are. We can investigate what we actually are only by attending to ourselves. But in order to attend to ourselves, we first need to have a clear understanding of what is meant by ourselves. Now we seem to be this body. This body and mind seems to be ourself. But that's why, first, in in all Vedantic, uh, I mean, all Advaitic traditions, the, the the preliminary thing we have to learn is. We have to analyze to understand what we actually are. We have to understand that we are not this body or mind or anything that appears and disappears. We need to distinguish ourselves as the seer from everything that is seen. The body and the five sheaths that compose the body are all drissia, they're all things, they're all phenomena, things known by us. We are the drick, we are the, the sakshi, the witness of these things. So. What we are to investigate or attend to is not to any phenomenon. It is to ourself alone. So we are not investigating any object. We are investigating the subject, the knower of all objects. So we have to turn our attention back towards ourselves. But even when we say we're investigating the subject, what is the subject? Who is the knower of all these phenomena? The knower of all these phenomena is ego ego is the false awareness. I am this body. So um, sometimes that is not what we actually are. So some people get the impression that there are two eyes. There's an ego eye and a real eye. That is not the case. There is only one eye when we experience the one eye as it actually is in its pure form, that is our real nature. When we experience that eye mixed and completed with adjuncts, that is ego. So it is not two different things. Just like the snake and the rope are not two different things. The difference between the snake and the rope is not a difference in substance. There are not two things, one snake and one rope. There's only one thing there. What it actually is, is a, a rope. But it seems to be a snake. So the difference between the snake and the rope is not a difference in substance, it's only a difference in appearance. Likewise, the difference between ego and our real nature, what we actually are, is only a difference in appearance. So it's not that there are two eyes, One eye has to find some other eye. It's not like that. There is only one eye. As Bhagavan says in Uludunaptu, being one is the experience of everyone. So we all know we are one. So the ego is the one eye. When it's seemingly mixed and conflated with adjuncts, then it's called ego. So sometimes people used to ask Bhagavan, when you say to investigate who am I, what is the I we have to investigate? Is it ego or is it our real nature? Or often they put it in terms of, is it ego or the self? Bhagavan often would reply to them, investigate ego, that is sufficient. Why did he say like that? We can understand this by considering an analogy. Supposing we are walking with Bhagavan along a a path in uh, through the woods, in the ha- in the dim light of dusk, and we see something lying on the path ahead of us, to us it looks like a snake. So we say, oh Bhagavan, Bhagavan, there's a snake there. But Bhagavan knows very well that is just a rope. So Bhagavan says, don't be afraid, it is not a snake, it's only a rope. But Bhagavan knows that we won't be convinced until we ourselves see it as a rope. So Bhagavan said, it's only a rope, look at it carefully. So if when he tells us look at it carefully, if we ask him, "But which it should I look at? Should I look at the snake or at the rope?" What will he say to us? He'll say, "Look at the snake," because for us it, that it seems to be a snake. So he says, "Look at the snake." If we look at the snake, what do we see? Oh, it's not a snake; it's only a rope. So there are not two eyes for us to investigate. So whether we start off this investigation. With the understanding that this I is ego, or whether we have a deeper and clearer understanding that though it seems to be ego, it is actually what it's actually our real nature, it's actually pure awareness, it doesn't matter. All we have to attend to is to attend to I. So, but though I, I is obviously not an object, I is. Our awareness of ourselves. So we are attending only to ourselves. We're attending, we're not attending to anything other than ourselves. So to understand what is self-attentiveness, the only we, we can by thinking carefully about Bhagavan's teachings, we get a vague idea what he's talking about. But we can understand clearly what is the practice of self-investigation only by trying to attend to ourselves when we when we start trying to attend to ourselves we we we'll have a little bit of difficulty because we keep on having a tendency to look for an object but obviously we're not looking for an object we're only whatever objects may appear because they appear and disappear they're something other than i so to whom do these objects appear We keep on turning our attention back to ourselves. So what we are trying to attend to is not anything that appears and disappears, but that which is permanent, that which is always shining. What is the one thing that is always shining? It is only our own being, I am. That is, in waking, we are aware I am. In dream, we are aware I am. And in sleep, we are aware I am. In waking and dream, we are aware I am. We're we're not aware of ourselves just as I am. We're aware of ourselves as I am this body. And we are consequently aware of so many other things. In dream, we are not aware of anything other than ourselves. But we are still aware I am. So I am is what is real. So that is what we have to attend to. Our own being, our own fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. That is what we have to attend to. That doesn't mean attending to the words I am. What do the words I am refer to? They refer to our being. That is what we need to attend to. So, but this part, Bhagavan called this Atma Vichara means it's an investigation. So, we how to learn how to investigate ourselves only by investigating ourselves. That is, the more we investigate ourselves, the clearer the way we'll become. As in any investigation, if you're following an investigation, when you start an investigation, you don't know what the final outcome is going to be. If you know the final outcome, there's no point in the investigation. So we start the investigation. As we proceed in the investigation, the way becomes clearer and clearer. That is, it. when we're investigating things other than ourselves, we're gathering more information. In the case of investigating ourselves, we're not gathering more information; we're gathering more clarity. As we look deeper and deeper within ourselves, we get a we are able to see more and more clearly. Our as something distinct from this body and mind, but we now mistake to be ourselves. So it's it's only by practice that this that this path will become clear to us. But we. In order to start the practice, we first have to have a clear understanding of Bhagavan's teaching. What does he mean when he talks about investigating ourselves, attending to ourselves? What is the self that we have to investigate? It's only ourselves, not anything other than ourself. So, um, we, it, it, this is why it's very important to read Bhagavan's teachings very carefully, think about them very carefully, and then to try our best to put them into practice. We may stumble and fall, but the the more we try, the clearer the way will become. And when I say it's important to, to, to read and think deeply about Bhagavan's teachings, I'm talking primarily about his own original writings, because if we read the recordings of his answers to people's questions, there are two problems with that. Firstly, a lot of his answers he had to answer people according to their level of understanding. So many of the answers he gave were not the deepest, were not his deepest teachings. Um, often they were diluted expressions of his teaching. But that was necessary because that was all that person would be able to understand. So he that is, as Bowen said, the teaching should be according to the taught. There cannot be. When um Yogananda, the, the Swami who went to America and started the self-realization fellowship and wrote a book, autobiography of the yogi, he came to Bhagavan in the nineteen thirties and it's recorded in talks. One question he asked Bhagavan is, What um teaching is to be given for the uplift of the masses? Bhagavan says no there can be no teaching on mass. Teaching must be according to the talk. So the teaching should be tailored tailored to the needs of the individual who is being taught. So not all the answers that Bhagavan gave to to people's questions are his pure teachings. Secondly, a lot of the books that record Bhagavan's teachings, those books were recorded in English, whereas Bhagavan was speaking mostly in Tamil. And they, the the people who recorded, they were not. There was no tape recorder. Bhagavan's voice was never recorded. There was no one writing shorthand. People would listen to the conversation and then go away to their room and write down what they could remember. What they could remember is what they understood. So it's it's what we read in books like Talks and Day by Day and so on is not what Bhagavan actually said, but what the recorders of both books understood Bhagavan said, understood and could remember. Because Obviously, if you listen to a a half hour discussion, and then you try to write down, you'll only be able to write the gist of it. You won't be able to write every word that was said. So these are not accurate recordings of what Bhagavan said, and they're not Bhagavan's deepest teachings. There are many useful ideas in such books, but we need to read them with discrimination. What, but to understand the core principles of Bhagavan's teachings, we need to study his own original writings. That is, Nana, who am I, that is, uh, Ullu Dhu Naptu, Upadesha, Upadesha Saram, um, uh, Anma Vidde, Arunachya all these works, these we should study time and time and time again, because these will encourage us to go, to go deeper and deeper in this path, to persevere in following this path. And they'll give us more and more depth and clarity of understanding how to follow this path. That's why it's so important going through these works and understanding them correctly. And their understanding comes only gradually. That is, as we go deeper in the practice, our understanding will grow deeper. None of us can claim that we've understood Bhagavan perfectly. As we go deeper, our understanding becomes deeper and clearer. So the practice is what is most important, but the practice is supported by the sravana and manana. Sravana means studying what Bhagavan has said. Manana means thinking carefully about it. So this is most important. But without the clear sravana manana, we won't be able to understand what is the practice. And without putting it into practice, our manana, our sravana manana will only be fairly. Superficial to go deep in Sravana Manana. We need to go deep in the practice. I, I hope that adequately answered that question. Uh, thank you, sir.
1: I think uh, as a follow-up comment from Puruji, I'm reading uh, one one uh, comment on the YouTube channel from Puruji uh that to summarize what uh puruji has learned quote i the ego should keep on investigating the ego and it will disappear itself unquote absolutely other than that yes
0: sir that is in 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 verse 25 of Ulludhanapadu, Bhagavan puts it very succinctly, Tejinal That Te "tadinal" means if seeking. That implies if ego seeks itself, if it seeks to know its own reality, what it actually is, Otam Pidikam, it will take flight, it will run away. Right,
1: sir. Yeah. We do not have any more questions on the YouTube channel. Right. Uh, you might like to conclude for the day sir.
0: Yes okay so I think that that's all for today. Om namo bhagavate
1: Namu Ramana, and many thanks for addressing all the devotees uh, this evening sir. Uh, we shall thanks, meet you again. All thanks month. to Bhagavan. Oh yes absolutely it is all his grace. It, it is all comes all, only all... from
0: him we are nothing.
1: <laughs> Very true 100%. <laughs> 100%. Namuram, mm-hmm. sir. Many thanks.